How many of you have ever heard of Harry Potter? Everyone's laughing. How many of you, by raising, by raising your hands, have not heard of Harry Potter? Almost everybody in here has heard of Harry Potter. Doesn't matter, transgenerational, right? If you don't know who Harry Potter is, Harry Potter is a series of fantasy novels written by British author J.K. Rowling. The novels chronicle the lives of a young wizard, Harry Potter, and his friends, all of whom are students at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The main story arc concerns Harry's struggle against a dark wizard who intends to become immortal, overthrow the wizard governing body known as the Ministry of Magic, and subjugate all wizards and muggles, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which are non-magical people. Since the release of the first novel, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which was on June 26, 1997, the books have found immense popularity, critical acclaim, and commercial success worldwide. They have attracted a wide adult audience as well as younger readers and are often considered cornerstones of modern young adult literature. As of February 2018, the books have sold more than 500 million copies worldwide, making them the best-selling book series in history and have been translated into 80 languages. The last four books consecutively set records as the fastest-selling books in history, with the final installment selling roughly 11 million copies in the United States within the 24 hours of its first release. The original seven books were adapted into an eight-part namesake film series by Warner Brothers Pictures, which is the third highest-grossing film series of all time as of February 2020. In 2016, the total value of Harry Potter franchise was estimated at $25 billion, making Harry Potter one of the highest-grossing media franchises of all time. According to Rowling, the author, the main theme is death. Other major themes in the series include prejudice, corruption, madness, the success of the books and films has allowed Harry Potter franchise to expand with numerous derivative works, a traveling exhibition that premiered in Chicago in 2009, a studio tour in London that opened in 2012, a digital platform on which J.K. Rowling updates the series with new information and insight, and a pentology of spin-off films. Most recently, these, uh, these themed attractions, collectively known as the Wizard World of Harry Potter, have been built at several universal parks and resorts, uh, amusement parks around the world. Harry Potter, what does that tell you? $25 billion and is the best-selling book series in history. And it's all about magic. What does that tell you about our world? They're very interested in magic. 
a far cry from the days of the Enlightenment when truth was discerned through reason and logic. Now people are looking to the spirit world for truth. Interesting. Well, what is magic? If someone were to come up to you, you're a Christian, and they wanted to ask you a question, they said, what is magic? How would you, how would you answer that question? I think it's important to understand uh, and define what magic is before we go into the text. Magic, in the world of Paul's time, was not a form of entertainment consisting of the skilled use of illusory tricks, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It was far more serious and corresponds closely with what we might today call sorcery, witchcraft, or the occult, the dealing with the supernatural. The definition of magic is this. It is the attempt through various sorts of rituals and words of power to manipulate some deity or supernatural power into doing the will of the supplicant. That is magic. And when you look at the books of Harry Potter, in the book, there are countless numbers of spells, incantations that you could perform to gain some kind of control of the spirit or spirit realm to do your own bidding, to do your own will. And though there is a great argument as to whether or not these spells are effective or not, because some will say that they're make-believe, some will say they are real, When you're dealing with spells and incantations, and if you don't know what an incantation is, an incantation is a series of of words that are used in a magical formula repeatedly in particular order with certain pronunciations in order to gain control of the power that you want to use to accomplish your purpose. That's an incantation, a spell. Okay? And incantations whether you think they're fake or not, the intent of the person who's doing them is what matters. So it doesn't matter if you say it's fake, if you think it's real, if it's the person wants to use a particular course, uh, a particular uh, incantation, your intent is what matters, not the spell. You can make anything effective. I bring this all up because we live in a world that is dealing with magic. It's everywhere. And no one talks about it. But God's word is in there. But God's word talks about it. And the text we're going to read today is a, is a, is a text that talks about a place in the world where the occult and the supernatural was rampant. It was in the city of Ephesus. And this is where we're going to pick up our text where the Apostle Paul has come to the place of Ephesus, which was a, a major city in Asia Minor. If It's in modern-day Turkey. If you were to look at a, a map of modern-day Turkey, it would, Ephesus would be on the western side towards the coast. And Paul is there ministering, and he's preaching the gospel there. So he's preaching the gospel to a place where people were dealing in the occult. They were using magic spells trying to control spirits so that they can control their own lives, okay? So magic is rampant 
The use of, uh, of all kinds of uh, supernatural phenomena was going on. So we need to keep that in mind as we enter this text, which can be a difficult text to understand. So the first question I want to ask is this. What's the difference between miracle and magic? What's the difference between miracle and magic? First, miracle. A miracle is God's supernatural power at work in the world for the purpose of revealing his word. That's a miracle. We see this in verses 11 and 12 of Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now here we see that God is doing unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So Paul is in Ephesus. He's ministering. And as he ministers, God does unusual miracles through Paul's hands. Okay? So much so were these miracles unusual that his own clothing was being used as a means by God to heal those who were in Ephesus who were either sick or demon-possessed. Apparently what was going on is that as Paul was, was ministering and healing people, the people who lived in Ephesus who were familiar with the magic and the uh, supernatural uh, practices that were going on in Ephesus, they saw the result of, Paul, of, of, of Paul's healing. They assumed, well, if Paul is healing and people are being made well, you know what? I bet you his clothes would work too. And so they ask Paul while he's working as a tent maker or leather worker, they ask him for handkerchiefs, which was literally a sweat rag wrapped around his head to keep the sweat out of his eyes as he worked. Or they would ask for an apron that was around his waist as he worked. They wanted these clothing because they thought, this is magic, it's going to heal these people. So they took Paul's clothing. Do you mind if we take your clothing, Paul? Sure, go ahead, take it. Paul may have not even known this was going on initially. And so they take it and they bring it over to these people who are sick and they're being made well. And Luke wants, to make, uh, Luke wants to make sure that we know that it was God who was doing this. And I, re I remember reading this text and I would try to understand, why is God doing this? This is confusing. It seems like it's magic, but God doesn't do magic. That's opposite of what God does. So why is God healing through these people's clothing? The answer is very simple. He's drawing people to his word. By healing in the way that the people would expect healing to come through, he's meeting people at their level is what he's doing. And what's going to happen, what he wants is that when these people realize that these people are getting healed, he wants the Ephesians who believe in magic to say, you know what, if Paul's clothing is healing these people, I should listen to what Paul has to say. And what are they going to hear when Paul preaches? Jesus. They're going to hear about Jesus. And what are they going to hear Paul say about Jesus? That Jesus and God's power is far mightier than any magical practice that you're using in Ephesus. 
The reason why God is healing in this way is to draw people in Ephesus steeped in magic to his word so that he can get them away from it. This is not a validation of magic. Anytime God does a miracle, it's never magic. He can heal any way with any means he so chooses to do so. When the woman who was bleeding for 12 years touches the hem of Jesus' garment, she was made well. Right? In Acts chapter 5, people were healed when Peter's shadow came over them. We go back in the Old Testament. The people of Israel had disobeyed God. They were bitten by serpents. God told Moses to make a pole out of bronze, put a snake on the pole. When they look at it, they'll be healed. Was it the bronze pole with the serpent on the pole that healed the people? No, it was God who healed them. But he decided to use the means of the pole when they looked at it. The point is, is that God can use anyone or anything to bring healing. Healing in this way through clothing is called sympathetic influence. In magic, that's, they believe that power could be transferred from a person's clothing to a person or an inanimate object to a person. But God is actually bringing about the healing through these means for the purpose of getting people away from magic by drawing people to his word. That's why. This is so God. He sees a culture steeped in the occult and comes in just the way that they would understand it. They'll misinterpret it, but this is him working to get people to go to Paul so they can hear Paul preach about Jesus. Whenever God, a miracle is done, it's God's supernatural power at work in the world for the purpose of revealing his word. And 11 and 12 is case in point. Number two, magic. Magic is Satan's supernatural power at work in the world for the purpose of deception. Verses 13 and 14. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. So what happened here, you have some Jewish exorcists that see what is going on People being healed because of Paul's clothing. They see the effect that it's having on people. They also know that the Apostle Paul is preaching in Ephesus using Jesus' name. So what do they do? Oh, okay. Paul has pretty, is, is this, this God that Paul worships must be pretty powerful. So we want to bring about the same effect. And we're going to use the name that Paul's been using. We're going to use Jesus but they don't use it in the same way that Paul does. What they do is they use Jesus' name in an incantation or a spell. When it, says, when it says here, we exercise you, when the exorcists say, we exercise you, that is, I adjure you, I solemnly command you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches, that's an incantation. That is a spell. That's a magical formula that they're using. They just happened to use Jesus' name in their magical formula because they thought it would bring about a healing, which is why they're doing this. Okay? This is a spell, 
a series of words set as a magical spell which has as its goal to produce a magic effect. There is a collection of what they call Greek magical papyri, which was discovered in Egypt in biblical times. It has been translated into English. And in these these Greek magical papyri are a list of spells that were used in biblical times. I'll give you an example of one of them. Hail, God of Abraham. Hail, God of Isaac. Hail, God of Jacob. Jesus Christus, Holy Spirit, Son of the Father. That would have been used in a spell to try to manipulate the God or the power to do one's will. And that's what they're doing here. They're using Jesus' name without knowing Jesus, with no personal relationship with him, to bring about an effect that they desire. This is their will, not God's will. Distinction with Paul. Paul didn't initiate what was going on in verses 11 and 12. That was God's doing, not Paul. You see the difference? Magic is a person who tries to use a deity or a name in a magical spell and use that power to accomplish one's purpose. Why would people use magic in those days? They would do this for protection from evil. They would wear amulets around their neck to ward off evil spirits that they believed would do them harm. You've got to understand, in that worldview, they believed that the spirit realm existed, obviously, and it impacted every area of life. You don't get involved in this stuff unless you believe there's a supernatural world beyond our physical material world in which we live. They would also use it to alter one's fate or future. Back then, they believed that the timing of your birth was related to the position of the stars, the moon, and the sun. And if your birth happened at a time when the sun or the moon or the stars was at a particular location, they believe that that may affect your future and your destiny. So in order, and they also believe that these, these, these celestial bodies either were deities or represented deities. And so they gave them names. So when they made curses, they would use their names and their formulas to try to manipulate them to accomplish their purpose. That's what they're doing here, but they're just using Jesus' name instead because they saw how Paul was successful in bringing healing to people. They would also use magic to compel the physical attraction of another person, to gain favor and influence with people, to heal various kinds of illnesses, to attain special knowledge from a particular deity, and to inflict harm on people. This is why people do this stuff today. For the very same reason, it happened, it happened then and it happens today. Nothing is new under the sun, S-U-N. The fact that they f- would fail in this is because of this reason. What the exorcists were attempting to do was deceptive. If they had been successful in what they were trying to do in healing the sick and casting out demons, they would have attributed the healing to Jesus, and that would have been false. Jesus was not going to allow his holy name to be used in a deceptive way. So what is Jesus going to do? Expose them. 
verses 15 and 16. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) You don't have any authority over me. I know Jesus does. I know Paul does, but you don't. And in order to cast me out, you need to have a relationship with him to do so, which these exorcists did not have. Well, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them. Why? So they, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They were exposed as frauds. And anybody who deals with magic, you will be exposed as a fraud. If anybody listens to this message on the radio, if by God's providence you're involved in magic in some way, shape, or form for the reasons that I have listed previously, you will be exposed. You may not be using Jesus' name in your incantation or spell or whatever practice you're involved in, but I assure you, God will expose you. These people were exposed as deceivers and frauds, and their, their pride was wounded. They didn't bring about the effect that they thought they were going to. And that's what happened. They were exposed. Well, the failure of these magicians reveals that God's power through Jesus Christ is greater than magical power. Verse 17 This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. As a result of their failure using magical power, it is clearly seen that the power of Christ is far greater than magical power. So much so, they don't even want to mention the name of Jesus anymore. You don't want to be trifling with the name of Jesus and use it in a way that was not meant to be. It is interesting to note when you understand that Ephesus is a place where there is a lot of occultic activity going on, it helps you understand the letter that was written to Ephesus. I want to read a portion of of Ephesians chapter 1 to you, and I want you to listen to the language with the understanding that the people that he's writing to is steeped in the occult dealing with spirits and powers. Listen to this. The author has been praying, and he's praying for the people of Ephesus, and he says, I pray that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power Toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and above every name that is named. That is, Christ is above every name that you've been inserting in your magical spells. Christ is greater than all the names that you use in your magical incantations and spells. When you see it that way, you understand why the author who wrote the letter to the Ephesians uses the language that he does, because he knows he's writing to a bunch of people who've been dealing with the occult. Verse 18. 
The failure of these magicians reveals that God's power through Christ is greater than magical power. And so then what? Since Christ's power is greater, what do those who are involved in the the occult do as a result? Number one, those who have practiced magic must renounce all the magical power that they possess. Verse 18. And many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Their deeds is literally, they confessed their magical practices. They confessed their incantation. Why is that so so important to confess them? It's very simple. The power of a spell or an incantation is in its secrecy. As soon as you make known the spell, you break its power and you make it ineffective. Notice what the author says at the beginning of the verse. And many who had believed. In other words, there were people in Ephesus who came to believe in Jesus Christ. But what they did was they never got rid of their spells. They still wanted to control their own lives through them. So they kept them secret. They kept them hidden. There are many people today who claim to be believers in Jesus Christ, and very well may be, but they never stop the occultic practices that they are involved in, whether it be palm reading, tarot card reading, whatever it may be. You cannot control your life, and people are trying to control their lives this way. And Jesus is saying, no, no, if I'm Lord of your life, I control it, not you. So any means by which you try to control your life, and if that includes supernatural power, it must be broken. And the way to do that if you're in the occult is by naming the spell, confessing it. This is in the Bible. Number two, those who have practiced magic must publicly reject and condemn all occultic and magic, magical literature by which they have acquired such knowledge regardless of the cost. Verse 19. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. Very, very expensive. Just like Harry Potter, $25 billion. It should be done away with. People must... The fact that they would do so openly and publicly burn them is a public uh, display of a rejection of the content and its condemnation. That's what they're doing. I'm not advocating people burn the books. That's got to be a decision the person who's in the occult makes. They did this voluntarily. They weren't forced to do it. When they understood the power of the gospel is far greater than any power they're trying to harness and control, they'll do it. All of this comes to this one conclusion. Once those who have practiced magic renounce their magical power, publicly reject and condemn all occultic literature, a path will then be cleared for the power of the gospel to advance both individually and corporately. Verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. The word of God prevailed. It entered into a region where there was occultic power that was prevalent. The gospel enters into it, defeats it, and prevails when God's people respond positively to it. What we see here thousands of years before our day, and with all the literature... Harry Potter is just one series. 
You go to any bookstore, occultism is rampant everywhere. It's in our television shows, shows like Charmed, The Supernatural. You go on WB and you can see all these television shows. This is not edifying. I know many parents are happy that their kids are reading and not in front of a video watching TV. But parents need to be aware of what their children are reading. Content matters. Content matters. We know that we serve a God whose power is unlimited. And we see that in Ephesus. May that be true today. You and I are in a world where this stuff is rampant and we need to know about this stuff. We got to have the right responses to people who are in this because God cares. If there are 500,000 or however many people are buying this stuff, these people are enslaved to it, can potentially be enslaved to it. And it's our job to let them know what God's word has to say and give them the alternative that they're seeking. It's our job as the church and it's in his word for us so that we can share that with other people. We have the power of Christ who can break all chains no matter how long someone's been bound by this stuff. And it's so great that the power of Christ is made possible because of Jesus and his willingness to die on a cross for you and for me, making that power through Christ in us possible.